Today is March 22nd, and this is the One-Year Bible Tour. My name is David McAdam, and I'm happy to serve as your reading companion and tour guide as we make our way through the entire Bible in one year. We are following the format of the One-Year Bible, with daily progress being made in both the Old and New Testaments, stopping daily also in the book of Psalms and Proverbs. When the Apostle Paul wrote to his protege Timothy in 2 Timothy 3.16 that all Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work, he was referring specifically to the Old Testament, as the New Testament was yet to be written and compiled. We know that the verse applies to both the New and the Old Testaments, but I bring this out because sometimes we get the idea that the details recorded regarding the genealogies and the land borders are not important, but God makes clear His promises down to the specific details. This shows that He can be trusted. We will see as we read through the Bible how God keeps His word to Israel and that we can trust that those promises that have not yet been fulfilled will be fulfilled. And of course, we see that all the promises of God become yes and amen in Christ. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20, the promised inheritance of the believer is assured to us in Christ. So we pick up our reading today in the Old Testament, book of Numbers. Yesterday we were making our way through Numbers chapter 33, and we ended with verse 39. So we're going to pick up in Numbers chapter 33, verse 40. And the Canaanite, the king of Arad, who lived in the Negeb in the land of Canaan, heard of the coming of the people of Israel. And they set out from Mount Hor and camped at Zalmonah. And they set out from Zalmonah and camped at Punon. And they set out from Punon and camped at Aboth. And they set out from Aboth and camped at Lai-Abarim in the territory of Moab. And they set out from Ayam and camped at Dibon-Gad. And they set out from Dibon-Gad and camped at Almon-Diblathayim. And they set out from Almon-Diblathayim and camped in the mountains of Abarim before Nebo. And they set out from the mountains of Abarim and camped in the plains of Moab by the Jordan at Jericho. They camped by the Jordan from Beth-Jeshemoth as far as Abel-Shittim in the plains of Moab. And the Lord spoke to Moses in the plains of Moab by the Jordan at Jericho, saying, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, When you pass over the Jordan into the land of Canaan, then you shall drive out all the inhabitants of the land from before you, and destroy all their figured stones, and destroy all their metal images, and demolish all their high places. And you shall take possession of the land and settle in it, for I have given the land to you to possess it. You shall inherit the land by lot according to your clans. To a large tribe you shall give a large inheritance, and to a small tribe you shall give a small inheritance. Wherever the lot falls for anyone, that shall be his. According to the tribes of your fathers you shall inherit it. But if you do not drive out the inhabitants of the land from before you, then those of them whom you let remain shall be as barbs in your eyes and thorns in your sides, and they shall trouble you in the land where you dwell. And I will do to you as I thought to do to them. Chapter 34 The Boundaries of the Land The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Command the people of Israel, and say to them, When you enter the land of Canaan, this is the land that shall fall to you for an inheritance, the land of Canaan as defined by its borders, 
Your south side shall be from the wilderness of Zin alongside Edom, and your southern border shall run from the end of the Salt Sea on the east, and your border shall turn south of the ascent of Akrabim and cross to Zin, and its limit shall be south of Kadesh Barnea. Then it shall go on to Hazar Adar and pass along to Asmon, and the border shall turn from Asmon to the brook of Egypt, and its limit shall be at the sea. For the western border you shall have the great sea and its coast. This shall be your western border. This shall be your northern border. From the great sea you shall draw a line to Mount Hor. From Mount Hor you shall draw a line to Lebo Hamath, and the limit of the border shall be at Zedad. Then the border shall extend to Ziphron, and its limit shall be at Hazar Enan. This shall be your northern border. You shall draw a line for your eastern border from Hazar Enan to Shepham, and the border shall go down from Shepham to Riblah on the east side of Ain. And the border shall go down and reach to the shoulder of the Sea of Chinnereth on the east. And the border shall go down to the Jordan, and its limit shall be at the Salt Sea. This shall be your land as defined by its borders all around. Moses commanded the people of Israel, saying, This is the land that you shall inherit by lot, which the Lord has commanded to give to the nine tribes and to the half-tribe. For the tribe of the people of Reuben by fathers' houses and the tribe of the people of Gad by their fathers' houses have received their inheritance and also the half-tribe of Manasseh. The two tribes and the half-tribe have received their inheritance beyond the Jordan east of Jericho toward sunrise. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, These are the names of the men who shall divide the land to you for inheritance, Eleazar the priest and Joshua the son of Nun. You shall take one chief from every tribe to divide the land for inheritance. These are the names of the men. Of the tribe of Judah, Caleb, the son of Jephunneh. Of the tribe of the people of Simeon, Shemuel, the son of Amihud. Of the tribe of Benjamin, Elidad, the son of Chislon. Of the tribe of the people of Dan, a chief, Buki, the son of Jogli. Of the people of Joseph, of the tribe of the people of Manasseh, a chief, Haniel, the son of Ephod, and of the tribe of the people of Ephraim, a chief, Kemuel, the son of Shiptan, of the tribe of the people of Zebulun, a chief, Elizaphan, the son of Parnach, of the tribe of the people of Issachar, a chief, Paltiel, the son of Azan, and of the tribe of the people of Asher, a chief, Ahihud, the son of Shelomai, of the tribe of the people of Naphtali, a chief, Pedahel, the son of Mihud. These are the men whom the Lord commanded to divide the inheritance for the people of Israel in the land of Canaan. Chapter 35 Cities for the Levites The Lord spoke to Moses in the plains of Moab by the Jordan at Jericho, saying, Command the people of Israel to give to the Levites some of the inheritance of their possession as cities for them to dwell in. And you shall give to the Levites pasture lands around the cities. The cities shall be theirs to dwell in, and their pasture lands shall be for their cattle and for their livestock and for all their beasts. The pasture lands of the cities, which you shall give to the Levites, 
shall reach from the wall of the city outward a thousand cubits all around, and you shall measure outside the city on the east side two thousand cubits, and on the south side two thousand cubits, and on the west side two thousand cubits, and on the north side two thousand cubits, the city being in the middle. This shall belong to them as pasture land for their cities. The cities that you give to the Levites shall be the six cities of refuge, where you shall permit the manslayer to flee, and in addition to them you shall give forty-two cities. All the cities that you give to the Levites shall be forty-eight, with their pasture lands. And as for the cities that you shall give from the possession of the people of Israel, from the larger tribes you shall take many, and from the smaller tribes you shall take few. Each, in proportion to the inheritance that it inherits, shall give of its cities to the Levites. Cities of Refuge And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel, and say to them, When you cross the Jordan into the land of Canaan, then you shall select cities to be cities of refuge for you, that the manslayer who kills any person without intent may flee there. The cities shall be for you a refuge from the avenger, that the manslayer may not die until he stands before the congregation for judgment. And the cities that you give shall be your six cities of refuge. You shall give three cities beyond the Jordan and three cities in the land of Canaan to be cities of refuge. These six cities shall be for refuge for the people of Israel and for the stranger and for the sojourner among them, that anyone who kills any person without intent may flee there. But if he struck him down with an iron object so that he died, he is a murderer. The murderer shall be put to death. And if he struck him down with a stone tool that could cause death, and he died, he is a murderer. The murderer shall be put to death. Or if he struck him down with a wooden tool that would cause death, and he died, he is a murderer. The murderer shall be put to death. The avenger of blood shall himself put the murderer to death. When he meets him, he shall put him to death. And if he pushed him out of hatred or hurled something at him, lying in wait so that he died, or in enmity struck him down with his hand so that he died, then he who struck the blow shall be put to death. He is a murderer. The avenger of blood shall put the murderer to death when he meets him. But if he pushed him suddenly without enmity, or hurled anything on him without lying in wait, or used a stone that could cause death, and without seeing him, dropped it on him, so that he died, though he was not his enemy, and did not seek his harm, then the congregation shall judge between the manslayer and the avenger of blood, in accordance with these rules. And the congregation shall rescue the manslayer from the hand of the avenger of blood, and the congregation shall restore him to his city of refuge to which he had fled, and he shall live in it until the death of the high priest who is anointed with the holy oil. But if the manslayer shall at any time go beyond the boundaries of his city of refuge to which he fled, and the avenger of blood finds him outside the boundaries of his city of refuge, and the avenger of blood kills the manslayer, he shall not be guilty of blood. For he must remain in his city of refuge until the death of the high priest. But after the death of the high priest, the manslayer may return to the land of his possession. And these things shall be for a statute and rule for you throughout your generations in all your dwelling places. If anyone kills a person, the murderer shall be put to death on the evidence of witnesses. But no person shall be put to death 
on the testimony of one witness. Moreover, you shall accept no ransom for the life of a murderer who is guilty of death, but he shall be put to death. And you shall accept no ransom for him who has fled to his city of refuge, that he may return to dwell in the land before the death of the high priest. You shall not pollute the land in which you live, for blood pollutes the land, and no atonement can be made for the land for the blood that is shed in it, except by the blood of the one who shed it. You shall not defile the land in which you live, in the midst of which I dwell. For I, the Lord, dwell in the midst of the people of Israel. This is the end of our Old Testament reading from the book of Numbers. Let's take a moment to review what we've been learning. Nine further campsites are listed from the encampment of the children of Israel at Mount Hor, where Aaron died and Eleazar succeeded him as high priest, to their final campsite at the Jordan River. So therefore, a total of 42 campsites have been recorded on their wilderness journey. Numbers chapter 33, verses 40 through 49. Now opposite Jordan, the Lord commands Moses to give this commission to Israel. They are to, quote, drive out all the inhabitants of the land from before you and destroy all their figured stones and destroy all their molten images and demolish all their high places. End quote. Numbers 33.52 God's judgments upon the Midianites and the Canaanites actually have the blessing of all nations in view. God is preparing to bring forth global redemption through the coming of the Messiah. As He did with Israel, He will call people out from their bondage to sin and death and bring them into an inheritance, a place where they can dwell with Him in a covenant of peace. All His enemies, and that includes all of us at the start, either repent or go our way to destruction. All false gods and idolatries must be toppled. God's intention is is to manifest His glory through a royal priesthood and a holy nation and cleanse the land of all corruption, making all things new. The historical conquest of Canaan is a foreshadowing of the spiritual conquest in which believers are involved. This conquest takes place in the unseen realm of spiritual realities called heavenly places in the book of Ephesians. As we continue to read the Bible, we will get a better look at the relationship between the conquest of Canaan described in the book of Joshua and the spiritual warfare described in the New Testament book of Ephesians. The call to drive out the inhabitants of the land was based upon God's knowledge of what was best for the human race. The judgment upon the nations of Canaan did not come without warning. Canaan, the son of Ham, was cursed by Noah in Genesis 9.25 and his descendants inhabited Sodom and Gomorrah in Genesis 10, verses 15 to 19, and turned to horrific practices similar to those that precipitated God's judgment at the time of the flood. Jewish tradition, derived from the apocryphal Book of Jubilees, indicates that Canaan seized the land from descendants of Shem. Idol worship and demonic activity led to the total rejection of God. Warnings were given with opportunities for repentance. Israel was not taking vengeance against the Canaanites. Vengeance belongs to the Lord. It was the Lord who was calling them to battle. However, the Israelites compromised their obedience to the conquest of Canaan. This led to their own corruption and punishment. We'll see this in the book of Judges, chapters 1, verse 27 to 36. G. Campbell Morgan writes, To tolerate what God has condemned to destruction 
is to retain what in itself will prove to be a source of continual difficulty and suffering. The most solemn words of all are those with which the chapter ends. Quote, and it shall come to pass that as I thought to do to them, so I will do unto you. End quote. Numbers chapter 33, verse 56. It reminds us of Jesus' words, Unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Luke 13, 5. Next we read about the Lord defining the borders and choosing the leaders. The land of inheritance is defined with its borders in Numbers chapter 34, verses 1 through 13. Leaders were appointed from each tribe to divide the land as an inheritance. There are only ten leaders chosen for the nine and a half tribes to whom this land would be apportioned. Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh were excluded from the inheritance. Instead, three times it is noted, they received what they asked for as an inheritance. They made their choice, and God hereby ratified it, not without making it clear this was his permissive will and not his perfect will. Long after this, Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh will be the first to be captured and carried away. Psalm 16 reminds us to be satisfied with what God has in mind to give us for an inheritance. Lord, you have assigned to me my portion and my cup. You have made my lot secure. The boundary line has fallen from me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. Psalm 16, verse 5 and 6. These ten tribal leaders had an important function, but apart from Caleb of Judah, none of the others, as far as I can tell, are referred to again in Scripture. There are some others who share the same name in previous and later generations, Shemuel, Bacchai, Hanael, Paltiel, Kamuel, Eliaphan, and Ahihud. Next we read about the cities of refuge in Numbers 35, verses 6 through 34. Forty-eight cities were given to the Levites. Six of these were to function as cities of refuge. They were to be, first of all, visible, set upon a hill rather than a valley, and recognizable from a distance. They were to be, secondly, accessible, within a day's journey from anywhere in both Canaan and the opposite side of the Jordan. Those who accidentally killed someone would be able to flee to a place of asylum until he had a fair trial. God regarded life as sacred. God established that there be a reckoning for the taking of life. Whoever sheds the blood of a man by man shall his blood be taken. Genesis 9.6 An unintentional death, however, put the manslayer at risk of being killed before getting a fair trial. The city of refuge would protect him or her from the blood avenger by providing a safe dwelling as long as the high priest was alive. The gates of the cities of refuge were always to be open. These cities were appointed before they came into use. The invitation to flee to the city of refuge was open to anyone, even to those outside the covenant, the alien and sojourner, in Numbers 34, verse 15. After the death of the high priest, the manslayer was given legal permission to return to his home, the land of his possession. What a great picture this is of our greater place of refuge in Christ, where our accuser must be silenced and stopped. Our security is eternal because our great high priest died once and for all and he lives never to die again. His substitutionary death assures us that we can go home to our inheritance. The fact that he never dies means that there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in him. 
In Romans 8.1, we are safe and secure in Christ. However, if the murderer walked away from the city of refuge, the avenger of blood had the right to kill him. We all have sinned. We did not choose to be sinners. We were born sinners. Sin came into the human race through Adam, and with it our separation from God. From birth we are in exile, born under God's wrath. The law is our avenger and says that all sin must be punished. The good news is that we can flee to God's provision of grace. Jesus said, If I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. He is our city of refuge. Everyone can get to Him if they recognize Him as God's provision for their need according to the law. Apart from Him, there is nothing to look for but the fearful judgment of the blood avenger's wrath. So today is the day of salvation. Run to Him by faith. If we walk away from God's provision of grace, there is no more protection. Keep me safe, O God, for in You I take refuge. I said to the Lord, You are my Lord. Apart from You I have no good thing. Psalm 16, verse 1. We will learn more about the cities of refuge when the children of Israel actually appoint them. And now for our reading in the New Testament, Luke's Gospel, chapter 5, verses 12 through 28. Jesus cleanses a leper. While he was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. And he charged him to tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing, as Moses commanded, for a proof to them. But now even more the report about him went abroad, and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. But he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. On one of those days, as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there, who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with him to heal. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed, and they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in, because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said, Man, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, Why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven you, or to say, Rise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, Rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And immediately he rose up before them and picked up what he had been lying on and went home, glorifying God. And amazement seized them all. And they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, We have seen extraordinary things today. After this he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, Follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. This is the end of our New Testament reading. Let's take a moment to reflect and summarize. Jesus' public ministry continues in the Galilean cities where he encounters the leper and the paralytic. 
Both of these physical conditions illustrate the spiritual conditions found in all of us as a result of sin, corruption, and paralysis. In both of these healings, the religious authorities were called upon to take note. We have seen in the book of Leviticus how the condition of leprosy reflects the contagious, desensitizing, and alienating effects of sin. In Luke's account, the man covered in leprosy makes a wonderful plea, demonstrating both submission to sovereignty, Lord, if you are willing, and faith in his ability to heal. You can make me clean. Luke 5, verse 12. First, Jesus reached out and touched the untouchable. He did not speak to the leprosy as he did to the fever. He spoke to the man, saying, I am willing, be cleansed. And immediately the leprosy left him. Secondly, he told him to tell no one. This is because the leper would not understand his healing's significance until he understood what Jesus accomplished on the cross to secure our healing from the disease of sin. Thirdly, he told him to go and show himself to the priest and make an offering for his cleansing just as Moses commanded in Leviticus 14. Jesus heals and delivers in a way that fulfills the law. Righteousness must be fully satisfied. This also is in the message of the cross. The paralytic embodies the condition of fallen human beings. We cannot walk in the Spirit as God originally intended. We cannot walk according to God's precepts. We cannot even walk. We cannot bring ourselves to Jesus. But help comes to those who call. Four men bring the paralytic to Jesus. The only way that they could do that, considering the crowd, was to enter through the roof by removing the ceiling tiles and lowering him down before Jesus. There is no record of anyone making a spoken request that Jesus heal the man. But the four men, going to such lengths to bring someone whose need was so recognizable, prompted Jesus to take note of their faith. He said something to the paralytic that no one expected him to say. Friend, your sins be forgiven you. This was not going to be the request made by the paralytic or his friends, but Jesus went to the root of the problem, sin, and he had the power to forgive sins. Interestingly, the scribes and Pharisees were the first to react publicly, saying, Who is this man who blasphemes? Who can forgive sins but God alone? They were right. Men can forgive the sins of those who violate them but ultimately all sin is a violation of the holy will of God who made us and to whom we are all accountable. The burden of our conscience can only be lifted when we know God has forgiven our sins. Ultimately, all of our sins have been against Him. David realized this when he prayed, Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you are proved right when you speak and justified when you judge. Psalm 51 verse 4 The Pharisees and the teachers of the law began thinking to themselves, Who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Jesus knew what they were thinking and asked, Why are you thinking these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Get up and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, Get up, take your mat, and go home. This is another sign of Jesus' divinity. Next we have the calling of Matthew. Only two sentences. The first sentence is the call. He said to him, Follow me. Luke 5, verse 27. The second is his response. It is so simple and direct. And Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Luke 5, 28. The response was so immediate. 
At least that is how Matthew perceived it. You wonder how the Lord was preparing his heart. And now for our reading from the book of Psalms, Psalm 65. And reading Psalm 65 today will be my son, Benjamin McAdam. To the choir master, a psalm of David, a song. Praise is due to you, O God in Zion, and to you shall vows be performed. O you who hear prayer, to you shall all flesh come. When iniquities prevail against me, you atone for our transgressions. Blessed is the one you chose and bring near to dwell in your courts. We shall be satisfied with the goodness of your house, the holiness of your temple. By awesome deeds you answer us with righteousness, O God of our salvation, the hope of all the ends of the earth and of the farthest seas, the one who by his strength established the mountains, being girded with might, who stills the roaring of the seas, the roaring of their waves, the tumult of the peoples, so that those who dwell at the ends of the earth are in awe at your signs. You make the going out of the morning and the evening to shout for joy. You visit the earth and water it. You greatly enrich it. The river of God is full of water. You provide their grain, for so you have prepared it. You water its furrows abundantly, setting its ridges, softening it with showers, and blessing its growth. You crown the year with your bounty. Your wagon tracks overflow with abundance. The pastures of the wilderness overflow. The hills gird themselves with joy. The meadows clothe themselves with flocks. The valleys deck themselves with grain. They shout and sing together for joy. Thank you, Ben. What a wonderful psalm of praise. This psalm begins with an expression of the worthiness of God. His grace inspires both silent awe and heartfelt praise. There's a recognition that our reconciliation to God was not of our own doing. Forgiveness, fellowship, and the joy of answered prayer is a result of His reconciling us to Himself through Christ in verses 1-4. through Through Him, God is able to forgive us, answer us, and enable us to draw near to Himself in righteousness. Verses 5 to 13 remind us that His invisible attributes, His eternal power and divine nature are reflected in the wonders of the created world in Romans 1 verse 20. As the hymn writer put it, summer and winter and springtime and harvest, sun, moon, and stars in their courses above, join with all nature in manifold witness to Thy great faithfulness, mercy, and love. Great is Thy faithfulness. Psalm 65, verse 8, They who dwell in the ends of the earth shall stand in awe of your signs. You make the dawn and the sunset shout for joy. And now our reading from the book of Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 11, verse 23. The desire of the righteous ends only in good, the expectation of the wicked in wrath. As new creations in Christ, we will have a new desire to seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. In Matthew 6.33, let us say no to those desires that war against our souls. In 1 Peter 2.11 and Titus chapter 2, verses 11-12. to 12. Now let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we ask that You direct our hearts into a full possession of what You have given to us in Christ. Give us the determination to drive out the idolatrous influences that corrupt our devotion and cause us to compromise our obedience. 
Help us to discern what is ours in Christ, that we might rejoice in our inheritance and be satisfied with all that you have allotted to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for being with us today, and we look forward to continuing our reading in the scriptures tomorrow. And if you have any questions or comments, we'd love to hear from you. You can email us at podcast at newlife.org. And if you would like a written transcript of this commentary, you can get one by subscribing at our website, New Life. That's one word, N-E-W-L-I-F-E dot O-R-G, newlife.org. Thank you and God bless you.